0: I'm Holly Tucker, and welcome to my podcast, Conversations of Inspiration. Founder of Not on the High Street and Holly & Co., I'm the UK Ambassador of Creative Small Businesses. I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life, and my dream is to help everyone start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom, and encouragement. And in my view, the greatest way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to all my favorite small businesses, acclaimed entrepreneurs, and those who just simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to our sponsor, NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration.
1: Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down where we're
0: going. This week on Conversations of Inspiration, I'm speaking to Sam Goldsworthy and Fairfax Hall, founders of Sipsmith Gin. I travelled the short journey down the road to Chiswick to their beautiful copper distillery, where we have the most interesting and heartfelt conversation. I went into the interview knowing what lovely humans they were through the interactions I'd already had, but wanted to understand more about whether this had been an easier ride than most startup stories and why they'd taken the decision to sell their business after 10 years. And I have to say, not only did these friends who'd known each other since they were two years old tell me about that classic darkest, hardest times of their life, being the setup of Sipsmith, delivering gin on scooters, no sales, families to support, but also how the sale of their business had only made them more passionate to stay in their company forevermore. The bond these two showed and shared was truly emotional and the fact they single-handedly changed an entire industry after starting the first independent gin distillery in over 200 years was nothing short of epic. But now the toughest of times are ahead for Sam personally and so the scaffolding which is the love you have for your business partner, your work husband or wife will be needed more than ever. It made me reflect on the beauty of not only founders in general, but having a business partner. The only way I've ever grown a business and the only way I ever would. Thank you, dearest Sam and Fairfax. Well, this is rather exciting. We finally meet. We've been chatting for years now over email, but it's so lovely to be in the same room and not just any room. We're in your beautiful copper still filled distillery in Chiswick, which is actually I've been here before. And is actually somewhere where I might have been a little tiddly when I left because I did the gin tour and I sampled. I don't know how many. Do I sample in your talk Four or five. Four or, or five,
2: yes. Was that it? Yes. It
0: to go. Okay, I, I, well, I, I, I sampled a lot of the four or fives. I think I might have <laughs> drunk a couple of others, whatever <laughs> it was. But it was it's a bit early. Maybe we'll have a gin at the end of all of this. Quite Maybe right. we'll need one. Yeah. But thank you very much for inviting me here. Pleasure to have you. I'd love to start by telling both your personal journeys on leading up to you founding your business and then the remarkable story of Sipsmith itself, which I can't wait to have the pleasure of hearing firsthand. Shall we start with you, though, Sam? Is it true you've always had a penchant for gin, even when you were little?
3: Yes, (laughs) Uh, I have guilty. Um, absolutely. No. How little mean, are we talking? Well, I, I was first aware of gin when my grandfather, who was injured in training in the war, ha- had a, gr- a grenade went off too close to him, and he used to shake greatly. And the only way that he would drink his martinis uh, of a night or gins of a night would be a very long silk handkerchief round his neck, one end wrapped around his forefinger, clutching onto the glass, and like a pulley of <laughs> like a pulley and rope, you know, he'd ease this gin up. To his lips, you know, otherwise he'd be you know, trembling like this. He only had one eye, and that helped him. And I can always remember as a kid being so kind of curious about narcissism, well, slightly You'd sort be of fearful fixed. about yeah. this sort of pulley and rope martini system. But, you know so that was probably i think at about thirteen fourteen, and so that was the first interpretation of it you know we had there was gin everywhere in our grandparents and parents' house so i was I was a great stealer and thiever of uh, uh of gin, but I think Fairfax and I knew each other from growing up and i think when others were sipping on beer and wine we were always we always weren't far Quite from right. a gin in our mid teens uh and growing up but you know we went to we went to the same school later on, and then after that we went very separate ways. Uh, I went to university very briefly. I only went, did about two terms and it simply wasn't for me. I was never the great academic. So I, I left there. I went to South America. I went to work for a winery in Chile, actually, um, at the age of about 20 so really learned early on about, you know, the process of making drink. Came back, but I was, there I was drinking a pint of London Pride uh, uh, on my return. And I absolutely fell in love with this pint of beer. And I thought, well, I'm going to write a letter to the chairman of Fuller's Brewery. I thought, this is my vocation. This is where I've, I've got to go. I've got to work in the drinks industry. And I, I wrote a letter. I said, I've got nothing to offer you. By way of qualification, absolutely nothing apart from a young, earnest passion and knowledge of the drinks industry and a very early love of yours. And I think he seemed to like my letters. I went in and I had an interview with him. Long story short, got the managed to get a job. But I, I offered myself for free. I said, Look, you know, I, I so wanted to work for them. I said, I can give you nothing. I know you pay graduates. I'm not a graduate. I will work for free for three months. It's exactly what I did. Uh, and then so, sort of work my way through ground level at Fuller's, through all of the different departments, all the different stuff, um, and learned all about the different elements of a vertically integrated business like, like Fuller's. It was, it was a fascinating experience. Um, and then this amazing m- moment of uh, uh, fortune came when, when they said, Do you want to go and live in America? And I had the time of my life. This was really my university, so it was there on my own. But during that time, I learned so much about myself, about the, the, the drinks industry. But most importantly, I think, and this is, I think, the genesis of, you know, where we got together, was I saw these little micro brew pubs and craft breweries sort of beginning to pop up. And they were the small was beautiful, you know, contrary to the great, you know, big and enormous Bud Miller cause. These guys were the small uh, entrepreneurs that probably used to work for them and go, no, I'm going to do it the authentic craft way. I'm going to tell a story when I do it. And I mean, you couldn't help but get completely sucked into this a beautiful emotional but yet rationally very stable business model of a sort of microbrewery or craft brewery and then there were little micro distilleries and little wineries and there were little chocolate boutiqueries there were soap shops there was suddenly all these small little businesses where people used their hands to make things in small batches. they were emerging on a high street that had usually been the preserve of the good the great the massive and the big heavy brand and actually you know you know, consumers were looking left and right going, well, actually, this is what I want to be a part yeah, of, is this small group.
0: And can I just ask, just going back before I go to Fairfax, but just going back to your upbringing, mm. and dare I say, it was quite a privileged upbringing, but how do you think this upbringing influenced your life? And, and do you now, when you look back at your entrepreneurial journey, connect
3: some dots? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd say we take, I think everyone probably takes a lot of influence from their Parents and from yes. you know those immediately around them, and i don 't think my old man did definitely did not have a conventional job. He was a, a man of uh, uh, is man of you know many trades and tricks in farming uh, he set up his own business as well in management consulting he 's uh, worked for China clay and international business so he 's done a lot of the international stuff, which I found incredibly appealing he 's done an enormous amount of travel, which I just loved the 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 many different strands of his life the different roots of his life you know come together to create this really rich tapestry of inspiration and and I was um I was quite enamored by by that and I think so that that really set me on my journey of freedom I think he would have loved to have seen me do a little bit more conventional stuff I mean I think when I turned to him I said you know look Fairfax and I you know come up with this idea we're going to launch a gin distillery in London and it's going to be the first for 200 years. I mean, he sort of absolutely coughed and spluttered and said, you've got to be kidding, this is the most ridiculous idea. But he wasn't alone, of course, you know, and <laughs> I think, you know, arguably Fairfax's father probably was very probably sort of... the first
1: time he actually understood for... Well, I'll come into my story yeah, yeah. in a minute, you but... Do, yeah, you do, well, that, actually, that yeah. beautifully
0: dubbed it. And, and, and the two of you were actually neighbours and you've been lifelong friends since you were two. Could we hear your story, Fairfax? What were your passions when you were small?
1: Well, I grew up on the beach, so my father—he—he um, he was born in England, but uh, he moved to South Africa when he was three and came back when he was eighteen, and he fell in love with surfing. So this is in the sixties, and it was the genesis of the surfing movement. And he was actually one of the pioneers then of surfing in Cornwall, and uh, and he then set up the first windsurfing school in Cornwall. So that that was kind of uh, his real passion. Of course, he he was also a man of many other things. Uh, he had the first restaurant in Cornwall that got into the Good Food Guide. He was a silversmith. Um, he, he still is. So uh, he did lots of different things. And I think that was a fundamental piece of our upbringing um, as a family, that um, it was unconventional. There was all sorts of stuff going on. There were different ideas coming around. I mean, he invented one of the first jump boards, so a combination of a windsurfer and a surfboard. Uh, to To wave ride, as he called it, and he toured around America, trying to sell this concept that of course, now is massive, but you know and we were digging through um, the attic the other day, clearing out, uh, and came across these uh, these brochures that me and my sisters were in, carrying these things sort of down <laughs> to the beach anyway, great so, uh, so uh, it, it was it was unconventional, but it was great fun. I went off to school and ended up going to university to do languages. I loved languages, and I graduated, and i And I actually didn't really know what I wanted to do. It was one of these tricky things. I think everyone sort of thinks that they're going to have this career mapped out and this path. And perhaps because of my father's massively unconventional background, there was nothing really to latch onto. There was nothing to, to follow. And he'd actually been the first to say to us, I have an older sister and a younger sister, don't follow me into silversmithing. There's no money in silversmithing. The arts are, you know, a nightmare. It's got to be from the heart. If you want to go for the arts, go from the heart. That, that's what counts. Yeah. But don't, for goodness sake, go in because you think there's a career there. You know, that is a disaster. So, and actually it's wonderful. Both my sisters actually have ended up now in the arts. My older sister is now a silversmith. And my younger sister is a full-time painter. I ended up coming out of university and, and not knowing what to do. I went into consulting, because if you don't know what to do yourself, you tell other people how to do their business, (laughs) a classic. But uh, uh, it was just, it was a great industry for me to be able to get a handle on all sorts of industries, and really thinking about what it was that I did want to do. And at the time, I did an exchange program. So after you'd done a couple of years with the company, they were a global company, and you could apply to then go to one of the other offices around the world. And I'd always been fascinated by America. You know, my father's stories of going around. It just sounded brilliant. And then here's one of my great friends, Sam, having the time of his life. My goodness, the stories that were coming back at Christmas time. Brilliant. Um, over in America, and I thought, that's where I want to go. So I, so I transferred over to Boston, and Sam came to visit a number of times. And We went down to New York. We had, we had such fun. I thought, you know what? This is, this is where I want to be. I took a kind of decision to delay the decision by um, uh, applying to do an MBA because um, I figured that would kind of buy me a, another two years <laughs> of decision, <laughs> decision, decision time, exactly, <laughs> to work it all out. I, I applied to Wharton, they accepted me, happy days. I took, um, took seven months off to actually fulfill my surfing dreams, travel around the world surfing for seven months, my fantastic.
0: Goodness.
1: Came back to reality Threw myself into business school, and uh, and that was in Philadelphia. And Sam, by this time, had moved to New York, and uh, and it was there where we were kind of figuring things out and uh, and having a great time over a gin and tonic in. Uh, uh, where was it, Union Square, Union Square I think. Cafe. Um, yeah, yeah, Union Square Cafe. Still got the napkin. That's in. it. There you go.
0: And before we get onto that story, I'd just love to just go back to your father being a silversmith, which mm. is where you got the inspiration for the business name. Tell me about that story.
1: Yeah, it's funny. It's like the concept of what we wanted to do was unusual. And the receive wisdom at the time when we were setting up was that if you're going to make a gin, the way you do it is you make a concentrate Um, So you put loads of botanicals into the neutral spirit, you distill something that is hyper-concentrated, and then you blend that with neutral alcohol and add water. And by doing that, you get operational efficiency, but you also smooth out the differences between batches, so you get consistency. And, And that wasn't what we wanted to do. We wanted to bring back the traditional old school one-shot method where you only put into the still the amount of botanicals you need for one batch and what comes off the still at the other end is your gin it's much more difficult but it's the old way of doing things and it's very uh, it's very raw there's nowhere to hide you know you uh, you put yourself out there and mm-hmm. the the, uh, the yep. skill of the distiller is basically is, is there for everyone to see and we thought that was really important and was lovely but then we had a we had a wobble. I think everyone has these wobbles, and and, and this was a big wobble because this went right to the heart of everything that we were representing at, or you know trying to represent yeah. as a brand, and uh, and people in the industry are saying you can you just can't do that. How are you going to make sure that every single bottle tastes the same? How are people going to have that same experience with one bottle from Sipsmith to the next bottle of Sipsmith? And um, and actually, it was going back telling my father this, what well, he reassured us that actually don't worry about it. You know, that's what I do. I'm I'm a smith. I start with some pieces of silver and someone commissions a a set of beakers and I'll make a set of beakers by hand and from a distance, uh, you know, if you hold them at arm's length, they all look the same. That's the the idea. They're consistent. They're part of a set. But if you hold them up close, you Mm -hmm. can see the individual hammer blows because they've been made by a smith. And that is my skill. And that's the love and passion that goes into it. But that's why people come to me and they don't just buy them from a factory where they're spun by a lathe and they're identical. They value that inconsistency um, or that character, as we like to call it. Um, So he's like, actually, forget that. Um, Forget trying to be like everyone else and worrying about it. Celebrate the character. You know, you guys are Smiths. And and it was this amazing aha yeah. uh-huh moment. God, that, that's it. We're Smiths. You know, we're just Smiths of the spirit's world. You know, and and then it just became a kind of journey of what kind of Smiths are we? And we drink. And I the think the, the brand personality
3: Smith. kind of came out of the name as well. That's the it. word Smith is just so. It's very British, yeah. and um, it translates internationally. And I think from there, you know, we we created this personality and character that stemmed, you know, the genesis of it was the name Sip Smith and. Everyone's really curious about the name, and it, it's inspired a lot of the the tone of voice, yes, the look and feel, absolutely. the way we bring it to life. And
0: oh well, it's it, it's it's a brilliant name. It's one of my favourites, and it was it was then basically you were in your what late twenties now, yeah, yeah. And this idea came about. Mm. Were you were you sitting drinking a gin, I having this the, conversation?
3: Can remember the table, can remember the bar, can remember the square, can probably got the date somewhere. But you know, it was we looked at what we had uh, sipped on historically it was it was it was gin and actually you know there was no internet then really but I mean the, the footprint of gin just didn't exist in London like it used to it had all but disab- disappeared you know and yes. um, and then you know trips back to London visiting you know bartenders looking at restaurants looking at retailers you know basically just going on a mission and asking people about their views on the gin category how sort of uninspiring it was and how staid uh, and lack of energy there, there, there really was there. And, um, but
1: gin wasn't in, that's the no, other yeah. thing to remember. Yeah, Back in, in, in those days, yeah, it was, yeah. It, it, was, it was all about the vodka wars. You know? So um, Sidney Frank, who's the guy behind, uh, inspirational guy behind Jägermeister, he had then had this genius idea in the very end of the 90s to uh, create a luxury French... Manufactured effectively French um, heritage vodka brand that he sent out in wooden wine cases across the globe, and it rocketed and was sold for 1.2 billion four years in, and so you can imagine it was like a it was like a gold rush. Everyone was basically into uh, into vodka, and it was, um, but there, there wasn't necessarily a substance behind it um it was about status it was about how expensive is it how how mm. tall is the bottle how frosty is your bottle it wasn't necessarily about, about what was inside the bottle. And yeah. substance and gin was this this liquid that yes. um had amazing heritage mm. but you know you talk to people about you know we're thinking of kind of getting to gin it's like what, that drink that your granny drank, you know, that mm. no one cares yes. about? You know, are you, are you completely nuts? <laughs> that, yeah. was, that, was the, that was the vibe. Well,
0: you made that decision to do this. Tell me about, was there was there any hesitance in terms of working together? And what were those first steps? Because I can imagine saying, as your father said, you know, you're going to start a gin distillery back in 2009. People thought you were crazy.
1: Well, there was a long time. You know, that's the key. Okay. And, I, and I'm sure... Uh, you will have heard this before and it will, it would resonate with uh, uh, people listening that um, you have an idea and and it I think it's rare that you then dive in the next day and uh, and pull that trigger maybe maybe people do maybe we were, we were unusual but no, we, does, started, yeah. we certainly we we th- th- we had this genesis of an idea and uh and I think it took five years yes. um, before, maybe even longer actually thinking about it, um, before we actually jumped ship. Uh, so I went to work for Diageo. I figured, well, if you're going to go and work for a drinks company, you might as well go for the biggest one, really learning about the industry and about uh, the, the, the world of spirits. Um, and, uh, and it was only then that after we'd still talked about this idea, and every time we met up, we kept kind of throwing more things out there and... And we started telling other people, and I think that was the catalyst I think moment. It. I it, it's think funny that's because. That's
0: what I hear all the time. When you start to feel strong enough and brave enough yeah. to tell other people, you're close to making that's it happen. It. You
1: are. And I think it must have been two or three years after we started telling other people that I was at this dinner party with great friends, but who unfortunately live a long way away, so we only see them once a year. And I realized I was saying exactly the same thing to him as I'd said a year before and a year before that. And it was this crushing realization that we were just talking about it. Yeah. You know, at some point, you've got to get up and do it. And, um, and it was this amazing thing where this, uh, this little bit of paper came across my desk at, at, uh, at Diageo in the Finance Act in 2006, where the uh, then-Chancellor of the Gordon Brown, had um, been lobbied hard by the Scotch Whiskey Association to um, help promote small distilleries in Scotland. And so they'd paved the way for changing some small pieces of legislation to, to help these distilleries get going. And I saw this bit of paper and I thought, you know what, that actually could be the way in. And there was a name with a phone number. So I rang him up. <laughs> I said, uh, I, you know, he worked for HMRC, and I said, well, I've seen this paper, and I think it means that you would probably support what uh, me and my friend want to do, which is set up this distillery in London. And he coughed and spluttered. and he said, where's you, uh, you got my name? Where's, I said, well, it was at the bottom of the paper. <laughs> and he said, well, I certainly wouldn't support it. But then he magically said, but I probably wouldn't be able to do that much about it. And and it was this wonderful and was moment. This wonderful and moment. we just thought, wow. you know, actually, this could be it. And and we agreed to throw in our jobs, you know. We also agreed to do it on the same day. So this was crucial. We were emotionally holding hands here. I was damned, and Sam was damned, if one of us was going to leave our jobs. If one was and going then, down, and then other like, one was oh, going down. I'm actually no, still sure, feeling a little bit yeah. sick about that. Of, like, yeah. Can you imagine? You pick up the phone, just, you know, I've, I've gone through, I've done it, I've, I've left my job, we're good to go. And you're like... Yeah, I've actually had second thoughts. You know. <laughs> so, yeah. so we coordinated. We did it on the same day and uh, and we left our jobs. And it was an amazing, freeing moment, actually. You, know, you set foot outside the door and you think, right, well, this is where the journey begins. And um, I think naively, because of this phone call with this HMRC guy and this bit of paper, we thought we would simply apply for a license and be given it um, of course, it didn't quite turn it out that way. Didn't quite turn <laughs> out like that.
0: I love this because you revolutionised an industry in the UK. I can imagine the actual going from that idea to actually receiving that certificate. Tell me about that moment you received that certificate.
3: Well, it was unbelievable. I mean, we'd got our Member of Parliament involved. We'd spoken to some lawyers. We'd spoken to people in the industry, um, you know, master distillers, and really got their backing and written letters to Revenue and Customs and made them really understand how serious we were, incredible we were. And so when we got that letter, there, there had been genuinely, I mean, you know, it seems like it was just overnight. It was an 18-month, two-year journey of getting this single piece of paper, which is spectacularly disappointing to look at. But what it represents <laughs> is is so much I mean you can't operate without a distiller's license I mean for very good reason based on the history of gin you know lots of you know really ugly ways of making gin and you know so 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 law was required and one of those laws that was required was that you could no longer own a pot still that was under 18 hectolitres and so that was the law that we petitioned within parliament to change and alter as part, because what
0: know. it was essentially doing was stopping any craft any businesses you couldn't have because them. you had to it Absolutely. was just only the big boys could Absolutely.
3: have this only the big boys and and so we thought you know actually that there's you know it's it's uh, prohibitive you know there was no way an industry could start when you look at what the, the the there was a small brewing act that changed and revolutionized the beer industry too in the 1990s and you know we used that as a case study and then when this, so when this paper came it was just a real justification of, of the effort and energy that we'd put in it also meant so much more to the category than it did just to Zipsmith, And I think what we always knew was that we were never going to win a global mission if it was just us on our own. And actually we needed more distillers, more craft distillers out there. And actually as it happened, there were a couple of people, you know, trying for a license as well at the same time. Um, and so our journey started there we had we had this license we very quickly raised a bit of money uh that was a nightmare uh we put a down payment on a pot still so no one in england knew how to make pot stills anymore n- nothing smaller than what we needed so they went off to we went off to germany uh, had it made in in germany her name is prudence and named after Gordon Brown, who was uh, overseeing the, uh, the, the, the law at the time, he was talking about economic prudence. And of course, we thought ironic, you know, <laughs> that, well, who would start a business, you know, in a biggest recession of a generation, you know, and he was calling for prudence. But um, so, yeah, I mean, we were on a mission to bring back gin, the way gin used to be made and the way gin should we made we thought um, but you
0: this is the point isn't it where you then you needed almost that third founder an expert in distilling and and that's oh, when yeah. jared brown joined you tell me a little bit about his story and why he was vital in creating um Smith.
1: well his story is well, we mine, long has. and convoluted and amazing he's one of the most interesting fun engaging eccentric guys i guess i've known him now for what have you known, for 12 years, um, and we go out quite a lot um, uh, just testing uh, products. And uh, and every time we go out, I find out something new. I mean, the guy's been an underwear model. He's had a jacuzzi with the Dalai Lama. He's cooked at the White House. I, I'm, and you think I'm joking. Yeah, this is just, <laughs> yeah, I'm just scratching the surface. Anyway, amazing guy. We were introduced to him by this lovely lady, Geraldine Coates, who runs a great website called Gin Time. And poor Geraldine was getting fed up because Sam and I, having had this kind of idea, were trying to make gin. So we figured out, I mean, how hard can it be after all? Well, it turns out actually it's quite hard. <laughs> and we were making these liquids and we were taking it along. And at about the third lunch of the course of a few months, so she was like, you know what? You guys just really need some help. And I know exactly who can help you. And uh, she invited us to this uh, party at the Beef Eater Distillery, um, uh, the Negroni Club, celebrating the art of Negroni, which is one of my favorite drinks. And, uh, and she introduced us to Jared and his lovely wife, Anastasia. And, um, and they agreed to join us on this mission, as long as we start to uh, classicism and essentially, Jared's point was like, if we're inheriting 200 years of gin distilling history, we are damn well going to make a classic, quintessential London dry gin. Amazing. And you know what? That absolutely resonated with us. Because we were in there reinventing, I suppose, or uh, bringing back something that existed 200 years ago in the old school way. There was no need to go out and find botanicals that no one had ever thought of, because we weren't trying to hang our hat as a point of difference on something that no one else had used nothing in the recipe it would be a surprise to a distiller from the 18th century you know, that was the whole point but um these days now that they, there are 450 uh different distilleries in the uk um and probably uh, over a thousand different gin brands you're going you're finding things that have uh they're trying to hang their hat on a new botanical or a new flavor or something that no one has ever thought of using well of course that becomes extremely difficult we were very lucky in that sense um, that we didn't have to do that. Yes. We could take the classic gin recipes of old and come up with something that was just absolutely So it was a true
0: meeting of mind. Well, yeah. it was. And
3: actually, he, he I think, has it's, it's still been our true north. Yeah, he's, he's a pillar, absolutely.
0: So you had all the this now you had the expertise, yeah yeah, you, you had the name that you had the license. you're going through all of this, and you said that you needed to gain some funding. you know one of the biggest barriers really isn't it, to businesses starting is mm. you've got all the ideas, you've got the enthusiasm, you might have the expertise, but it's actually being able to do mm. that, supporting mm. families, no doubt, along the way
3: yeah yeah, well, families you know played a played a small part in that, and um but mostly it was mates. Um, friends and friends and friends and you know that we that we begged, um, pleaded with. Am to... I right
0: in saying you sold your houses? Yeah, we you... did. I mean, yeah. so
3: so we put in uh, our own funds, having flogged our respective gaffes and uh, mates and friends of friends had heard uh i've been tired of the story that you know of us trying to to do this if so this is going to shut of- them up and get it on the road to give this- <laughs> no it was genuinely a lot harder than that and i'm you know it really was it was a real struggle to get what we what we needed and um but well, to- you also
1: got to remember it was um the height of this massive recession yeah. and it actually yeah. didn't help that um two or three days after we'd quit uh, our jobs my wife found out she was pregnant so <laughs> it was it was extremely extremely challenging. I mean, the woman is an absolute saint. I love her bit. She is just the best, and um, she had to go through a, a lot because uh, we had a small amount of money that we had to eke out, and until we got the business off the yes. ground, that we naively thought would take no time at all. In fact, took um, I think from the point of quitting our jobs, two and a half years before we actually made a sale. Those were, I think, the, the dark days of like, you know, is this sacrifice worth it? And it's quite it
0: incredible, it? isn't it? When you look back, I look back to starting Not in the High Street, and unless everyone around you fully supports you husbands, mm-hmm. wives, partners, friends, parents. You're going to rely on them for those dark days because there's got to be, you know, they've got to believe as much as you do. And I remember when starting Holly & Co, one of the first things I made us do was sit in. I always remember I put all the chairs out and I got our TV I made it link up somehow to the presentation and we sat down. Anyone who would listen and Gabby, myself and Carrie, we did our presentation because it was almost going, okay. guys, this is Holly and co. And um, we don't know where we're going, but we need your love and support. We need you to get it. And so almost the first pictures I ever did was to the family, best friends and just saying, are we nuts? Like, really tell us if we're nuts. And if we're not nuts, will you see us through this period of time? It's it's just so important. That's so fun, yeah. I have a very exciting announcement to make. The Congregation of Inspiration is back for its second year and tickets are now live. After its huge success in 2018, the Congregation of Inspiration, in partnership with NatWest, has been badged the UK's most creative business conference. I'm so honoured providing advice and inspiration for those running a business or for those dreaming of starting one. We're working hard to create an utterly inspirational day, jam-packed with incredible speakers and entertainment, life-changing advice from myself and esteemed guests, but also a chance to shop, eat and drink. And believe me, it's set again to be an Instagrammable extravaganza. But most importantly, it's going to be a chance for you to connect with your community, meet new friends, find your tribe. And I just cannot wait to take your questions, mingle with you all and have a tipple or two at the end of the day. So no matter whether you're an entrepreneur already on the path or a dreamer hoping to quit the nine to five to do what you love, the Congregation of Inspiration is one of the most important days to be part of. If you'd like to come to the Congregation of Inspiration 2019, tickets are now available at holly.co. I look forward to seeing you there. Each week on Conversations of Inspiration, we're running a competition with our partner NatWest, where if you are a small business or independent, you are in with a chance to win this very ad break coming up. A free advert to showcase your business to hundreds of thousands of listeners, thanks to NatWest's generosity. This week's winner is Owen O'Keen, author of 10 to Zen. Over to you.
2: Hi, my name is Ono Kane, and I'm a psychotherapist and author of 10 to Zen. I decided to write 10 to Zen because I see people struggle every day of the week in my professional career. I see people anxious, stressed, really, really struggling to cope. And I decided that I would create a program that was practical, easy to use and something that most people could fit into their day. 10 minutes isn't a lot of time. So within the program, I teach people techniques to quieten the mind. Finding ways of thinking more rationally and clearly and more importantly, re-evaluating the principles for how you're living your life because most of us don't really stop to consider what are the principles and what are the values that are driving us forward. I wholeheartedly believe that taking 10 minutes out of your day can make an enormous difference to your life. If you'd like to know more, have a look at 10 to Zen or have a look at some of my social media videos at OnoKain10. 10 10 minutes a day can lead to a calmer, happier you.
0: If you'd like to take NatWest up on their generosity and be listened to by thousands of people, take that leap of faith and send in your small business advert to independentadbreaks at holly.co. We're looking for the wonderful stories that only small businesses can tell and have created more information on exactly what we're looking for on our website holly.co. What have you got to lose? Get recording. I can't wait to have a listen. Now back to conversations of inspiration. So moving on, and your beautiful gym was created and you needed a brand. And I'm right now talking to you both and I'm looking at all of these bottles of these incredible labels. Uh, We were lucky enough to share the same illustrator, actually, Vicky, and the creative geniuses at Big Fish and Perry um, Hayden-Taylor. There's a lot of meaning behind your branding and your bottles. Can you just tell me a little bit about this?
3: yeah absolutely I mean I mean it all stems from the name and that comes from pelvis's father, but you know we we have um you know we actually the the shape of the bottle is really important you know we really wanted to look like you know an old school gin and I think you know we we always you know it was Perry that basically said this needed to be timely and timeless you know the, the big feature there is the swan and that's to do with the swan's neck where the vapor turns and heads the condenser and uh, um, the copper is there to suggest that the 100% of the spirit has gone off our copper still. Um, and then we've got the juniper berry. And then, and then on the back, we've got the, the, the word London. That's a really important thing. This is the spiritual home of this great gin, this, this, this category that we've regenerated. And then, and then underneath, uh, it's got this lovely Latin expression. Um, it's a cygnus inter anates, which means a swan among ducks. And I think that's just a reminder about not taking ourselves too seriously um, but I think, you know, that t- to us, uh, you know, well, to the category, I think is a real, it's, it's a beacon, I think.
0: And, and it really, you know, it, it stood out, didn't it? I mean, and it really was that moment where Jin got cool. Mm. What it? it? It stood next to other bottles, and you were like, "This is a brand that, as it, brilliant, timeless, and timely." Yeah. yeah, absolutely. What a great, what a great actual recommendation for anyone building a brand. Yeah, isn't it? Just to have those both things your your foot in heritage. Yeah. but also absolutely. looking into the future.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: So, what was the next step, and how did you start thinking about distribution? You know, every pub, bar, supermarket. I can only imagine. How difficult that was, and the risk.
1: Yeah, it- I don't think there was any shortcut. I mean, I think, I think the. I, I also have the most unbelievable respect for anyone who does this on their own. Um, it's. Mm. Uh, I think one of the greatest things was that there were two of us, and and we were a team, and that actually then allowed us to, divide and conquer, in that sense. And um, as I said, I just then had. My first child and was up all night and up very early. So it was very easy to decide who was gonna do what. And <laughs> I was gonna be in the distillery. Jared, of course, was you know, he's super important and was bouncing around the world. So having designed the gin and, you know, showed us how to make it effectively, but he was off. So it was in there, pulling the levers, pressing the buttons, tasting the liquid and making the cuts. And and Sam had to go out and sell it. It was this wonderful balance of right, mm-hmm. well, if someone's got to be out till three in the morning, that's you, Sam. If someone's got to be in at seven starting to make the gin, that's me. And it worked very well. So my domain was kind of anything inside the distillery up to the distillery door. yeah. And Sam's was everything else. The world outside. Mm. And that actually seemed like a very fair split. <laughs> 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 but it, was, it was great. But
0: it was. So, you know, it there was a world of stuff going on inside, right, it. as well. Yeah. But, but, Big time. Yeah, oh, no, but we, tell me about these. So you, were you literally knocking
3: on doors? Oh, absolutely knocking on doors. What we were careful about is understand, we had a sort of a bit of a four or five-year plan where we knew where, what the entree, which is bars and restaurants, we knew, you know, what kind of cocktail bar and and white tablecloth and casual dining and pubs, which target accounts we really wanted to go after. And we thought we were, well, sod it. We'll start at the very top, the very pinnacle. So we went to these hotel five-star hotel bars and uh, which is so hard to get into a really daunting and intimidating places to walk into and I managed to get an appointment with someone at the Dorchester Hotel I sat down there There there's four buyers two bartenders you know and I you know presented this gin and uh, and they said uh, you know the buyers were being very sort of pushbacking the bartender's going this is exactly what we need it's exactly what we lack we could be the first to bring this in let's do it okay you know so they brought it in and the next day I um no distributor would take us this is another thing we went to wholesale and said look we've got this product I'm about to build I'm about to go out and sell it we need you to go and deliver it for us thanks very much and they went no 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 we're certainly not going to deliver there's no market for it we're not taking your product and I went shit this is, yeah, we've invested money you know that you know we've got people relying on you to supply the product nope not going to do it and that was when we thought okay I'm going to have to do this on my moped <laughs> and so I managed to win about ten accounts in the first week. I couldn't believe they, 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 they all took it. Um, and then I would deliver, you know, a case at the a time. These guys are used to having a bottle delivered on the day they asked for it. I, I had six cases on my on my bike, two between my legs, two on the pillion passenger. And two in the back with those string wire bungee cords, you know driving over auto, you know wet uh, you know, sewer lids. It was a nightmare. And uh, I came off a handful of times, but you know going in and hand selling and hand delivering product. Is what these guys remember still today?
2: Really? You can go
3: into all of our top one hundred accounts. They start, every single one of them still stalk us, and they can remember that through an accident, through an absolute cock up of our own doing, I got in communication and contact, and you know, uh, 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 with absolutely every single person in every single bar, in every mm-hmm. single restaurant, and um, because I was out there delivering it and selling it and then we we wanted to get into retailers and we found you know the old harvey nixon selfridges and then and then and then we really we really struggled actually to get much further only because the business plan was saying you know don't go much further than than that at the moment but right on our doorstep in in um shepherd's bush was majestic um and they had one of their big stores which is majestic shepherd's bush and we went in there and we said hey guys any chance you could stock some of our gin you know and they said we'd love to but you have to get a head office and so they put us in touch with of head office and we said hi really sorry to trouble you we only want to be in one store can you be in one store this is our story um and they said okay we're actually going to put you in 50 stores we went uh, you know, <laughs> and my said,
0: moped doesn't go that far you know, no exactly
3: <laughs> and uh so long story short we went from aspiring to be in one within a year we were in the rest of their state but i think it was majestic it was probably the tipping point actually mm. when you think about well
1: it was, a, it was it was a tough start yeah. you know um we got to this point june '09. we launched with fanfare we spent every last penny on taste of london Thank God we managed to sell some stuff there. So we got our money back. That was always our watchword. There was no, marketing didn't exist. Marketing had to be sales. Sales and marketing, they're they're the same. They were the same. We were prepared to spend some money on being at a show if we could get the money back by the end of the week, you know, in gross profits. So it had to balance out. And thank goodness it did because that was our last kind of pennies. But so we we went in with huge optimism it was just really exciting. And uh in fact, Boris Johnson, do you remember Sam? Uh, Grabbed Boris Boris Johnson was walking past, then the mayor of London, and um uh, I'm sure we're probably not allowed to this, but I'm gonna say it anyway, you can always cut it. Yeah. Um he he was walking past, and Sam rushed out with this uh tray of sit-smith gin and so sort of said Boris, Boris, you know you must try this thing. And he picked up this shot, and he takes the shot, and he goes, "Bloody good stuff! Yeah, <laughs> <Well, laughs> marvelous." Well, there you go. That's fantastic.
0: Recorded yeah. on the day that <laughs> Boris has got another job. Well, so you
1: know. go. Yeah, So <laughs> sure. he's a man of great taste, anyway. But great taste. As well. great taste. But the uh, so so we we had all this optimism, and um, and and it was it was wonderful seeing it come to life. I mean, it was just this majestic moment of. Uh, seeing it actually in the hands of people and, and having them taste our product mm-hmm. and and just kind of experience the brand, it was just ma- it made you feel really proud and you know, it was it was a wonderful high, wasn't it? I mean, it was that that is like one of the peaks yeah. of the roller coaster. Yeah. And then you finish the show and you realize you've got no money and you've basically got no sales yet. And and then and Sam's out doing an amazing job selling into these bars, but they are the top end bars. You know, people are spending 18 pounds on a cocktail you know on a, on a gin they've never heard of before it's going to be an ask and um and sales were slow and i think we sold what 30 cases so that's about 180 bottles in the first month and then second month comes along 25 cases third month 30 cases fourth month 35 cases and at this point we're like what what have we done (laughs) this is that is not a business I mean for reference what is it what is a case going for about 100 pounds so you know that this was not a business but then amazingly it was when the community got behind us so we were there in this tiny little road called Naismith Street in Hammersmith Um, and we always operated with the doors open because it was tiny and it was hot and we would often just be hanging out on the street while I was running chatting because it was just so Excruciatingly hot in the summer, and people would be walking down the street, and they could see this glint of copper, and the, these two guys standing outside, and they'd, they'd call us. I mean, what on earth are you doing in there? Oh well, we've just opened the first still in London for two hundred years. What here? You've got to be kidding me! You know, what? Well, can I have a look? And they, and they they would come in and have a look, and and sure enough. They, they wanted to buy a bottle. Well, of course, we didn't have a license to sell direct to the public. And that was the moment that we went off to, uh, as Sam said, to this majestic wine. It was about 200 yards away in you know, Shepherd's Bush. Between October and December, uh, they sold over a 1,000 bottles out of that one store. And I swear it was uniquely people from from the area who basically gave it to everyone they knew for Christmas because it because said they had Hammersmith story. and Naismith on the back yeah. label and it was like I live on this street look at this <laughs> and, and, that was, and that was what gave it isn't that fascinating it was amazing. That isn't was our, there was so
0: much world. to be learnt there yeah. through theatre which we talk a lot about on this podcast Big you time. know the retail mm. theatre and to the fact that you did speak to people and it's those things isn't it that the sort of Absolutely. universe sort of gives you these little hints and clues and actually go, talking about experience I was was thinking back when preparing for this podcast, back in 2012, one of my main aims at not on the High Street was to grow the experience department, offering experiences as gifts, as there was very little option back then. It was just sort of red letter days, virgin experiences. Um, So we set up this experience department and you guys were one of our first experiences and they sold like hotcakes, so much so that I, I, as I said, took my brother-in-law, my co-founder, Gabby, Around on the tour, and they fell in love with the business, and it was such a special evening because learning the story, um, the tour, the copper stills, tasting the gin, looking at the certificate, and understanding all of those things. So I told everyone that I knew about it, and it's, it's something that Alice Gab, who was on this podcast, said: people want to tell their friends what they did and not what they got. Mm. So. When did you start the tours and was that an intentional part of your marketing or was it just another sort of, you know, well we better start doing this. People were knocking on our doors in Hammersmith. People are interested. Mm.
3: One of the things we always wanted to stand for was actually being faces in an otherwise faceless industry. This was an industry Mm -hmm. that was dominated by above-the-line marketing in every single facet and media that you could see and imagine, and tens of millions of pounds, if not more, being spent all over the UK. And actually what was really lacking was real people telling a genuine story. And the number of people that we had knocking on our door, you know, like magpies, looking in at this sort of shiny you know flashing copper and could we come and have a look he said no but you know in the end we ended up going that's so many we better put on a tour for these people We was actually we'll do a tour put it on the website have a look at our website you can have a look at the tour and they're free there were free tours and um you put on a tour every wednesday and there were 26 places but only 12 people would turn up and it was a, it was a problem you know hang on a minute we want, we want to be at capacity put a price on it, we charged a tenner for it, and suddenly then it was completely sold out. Because actually, to your point, people want to know that there's value in that yes. experience. And I think so people really want to be a part of that. And it was because of the tools that we ended up actually having our, bi- our biggest team of people that we ever recruited here, uh, and probably still is, is the experienced people. They are, are, we have an empress of experiences. They're someone that actually goes out and, and, and we have a, an army of advocates that basically, are, and ambassadors that, that go uh, to these festivals, to, to different events, because we want people to experience the emotional side and that connection with the brand.
0: And talking of team, you have such a passionate group of people working at Sipsmith. Everyone I've encountered through organising this podcast to going to your tour have been so lovely. Hiring is such a difficult and scary process for anyone who runs a business, especially small businesses. How did you hire and sort of create that team culture that seems so strong here? And do you have any advice for those who are now at that stage thinking, right, I'm, I'm going to have to grow a
3: team? At the beginning, you know, we ended up paying people, you know, absolutely the square root of very little you know and so you've really got to sell them a dream you know but being really we were really transparent uh uh, but we said you know this is where we're going this is the mission that we're on this is the opportunity you know be a part of it Uh, yeah you know if you can show me how i grow within that and my role and you know what development i might get along the way and i think in general i think that was that was the model that we that we went down to 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 sort of of grow. Uh, uh, And in the end then, actually, because we were the only gin brand really in London at the time that was making any noise or or any disturbance, that actually a lot of people came to us so we actually ended up being a bit of a beacon for for talent when they started seeing all the press and all the tv that we were receiving in the pr and the events you know there was just this buzz there was just this sort of energy around this so it was just a little bit out of our control i think it, so very quickly we then had to get our ducks in a row and make sure that when the talent really arrived that they there was a good solid platform for growth and that we could invest back into them and into the business and all that sort of stuff so i think the i think the the advice would probably be um, make sure that you've got a really good solid base of a, of a, of a business uh, going forward and you will you know, build it and they will come. I think you've got to believe mm. in it and they will come. And that's exactly what's happened here. And the other yeah, thing
1: yeah. I think as well, thinking of that, um, is we never went out to recruit people from the industry. Um, and if you look at the average age of our team, it's remarkable. I mean, we're the, we're the grandads here, you know, particularly me with my white hair. Yeah. But the, uh, the they they are just raw for the most part, and energetic and passionate. And and that was what we were after. We were on we purpose. were yeah, so you, on purpose. On purpose, we were purpose, deliberately yeah. went for people who hadn't. Come from another company within the same industry that had learned this is the conventional way of doing things and this is the way it should be done. We wanted people who were just energetic. Passionate, you know, a salesman who's just great at sales. It doesn't matter that they haven't worked in the spirits industry. That's not the point. You've got to do do things differently. You've got to zig when other people are zagging, and that's the only way you're going to kind of make any any headway. And that was exactly what we looked for, and it lasted that way for ages. Now, at a certain point in the in the life of the brand. We had to then, uh, and it sounds very grand, doesn't it? Life of a brand that's been around for just 10 years. But uh, you had
0: but growth. So but growth, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming you needed to then start to get some we expertise. We had to get, in, yeah. And,
1: you know, it's one of our greatest lessons is surround yourself with people who are better at Doing what you do than you can do yourself and that was definitely our mission as we as we did start to grow let's great, get someone who actually really understands the finances let's get a great marketeer in you know these are the kind of things let's get someone who can actually really run ops um, you know you, you've got to hire at so that certain so always from
0: level. you're saying that, that those those beginning days and I recognise it in Holly & Cohen, mm. and, and certainly in Not in The High Street it's about passion it's about exactly. energy yeah. it's yeah. about thinking differently differently it's about every idea is a great idea and let's just do it it's almost what i call soldiers let's just pave the way and yeah. keep going and it's the energy that needs yeah. to be there and allow
1: them to allow them to run with their ideas i mean yeah it's uh, it's one of the things that i think um we're proudest of is that anyone on the team can come up with any idea and just say you know what this. Let's do this, and you know, and so and that's
0: it, e- allowing that entrepreneurial spirit to live within your employees yeah. as well, them. The yeah. power of yeah. that, and then in terms of your roles, did you always, even through the decade, still have that yin to the yang? You know, that sort of that balancing act, and because it's so powerful, isn't it? When you can actually delegate to each other, Definitely. you you take what the mission is and you say, right, you do that, you do that, because when you come back at the end of the day. So two people's jobs has been yeah. done, and as you were saying for sole traders yeah. it's something to that you can lack it's just having that momentum
3: absolutely and I think if you don't have a partner you've got to have a mentor you've got to have someone to go and let off steam with you know yes. uh, um, we we're aware of each other's blind spots and edges and and that is, and having and is grown, that up together, you've grown up together I think there's a lot of that you know you know make no bones about it, and I think you know fair. F- couldn't and wouldn't want to do what I do and exactly the same with what he does and I think that's why we are a, a really great force uh, you know within within the team and I think we're going to be w- here for a, for a very long time as well you know I think that's you know that's mm. key I think with that mm. founder's sort of umbilical call to the to the business whether or not we're at the driving seat in the helm you know in, in decades to come but we're loving it we've got an amazing team of people the brand's in great health and um you know we're in a, we're in a really good place
0: and tell me, we were touching on this before, but, you know, you were two guys who loved gin, you wanted to bring this back, you know, there's, there's a purity in it. And you must see people wanting to emulate your success. But tell me about your feelings of the founder role.
1: I think the fundamental most important thing for the founder role is as a, um, a, a custodian of culture, the culture of a company has to almost by definition come from the founder and especially if it's a, just one person then it's that the, the way that company works and operates is going to be an extension of that person's character and, and and the culture that they bring and I think that's one of the strengths that we've had is that yin and yang of different uh, uh, opposing mentalities um, or complementary mentalities that have created a, a unique culture and every business is going to have its own culture but then as the as as the business has grown, that culture has been has been challenged, and uh, and as as you get more people in, um, uh, and factions are created, and uh, people wonder what the culture is, I think it's the job of the founders to be there as um, as those custodians. And really remind people why, why you started this business, what you're going, what the mission you're on is, and what the point is. You know, because it, obviously it has to be more than just about making a few sales, otherwise you would never get people to join you on the mission.
0: And how do, how you kept your relationship? So you've known each other since you were two. But it's like a marriage, isn't it? Mm. You spend a huge amount of time together. So, yeah. the, tell me how you now, after this time, after 10 years, keep that alive.
3: I think we're very different. We do very different things, but we believe and trust in each other so much that it's just—it's an incredibly organic relationship. You don't have to think twice about what's going to get done. You know, you can second guess what he's going to do. I actually know what he's thinking right now. So we spend more time, time together <laughs> than our than our wives, and and uh, uh, and that is uh, that's an astonishing feat. And I think. Um, I uh, wouldn't have changed it for the world to be where we are today, which is you know, in, a, in a really cool place. But um, it's an awesome experience to have mm-hmm. gone through this, and you know, I'd arguably we're only halfway on the journey. But you know, to go through this with a great mate, doing it together, and you know, we have we have said all along together that you know, thankfully, isn't it great and how appreciative we are that. We have each other because it would be an incredibly lonely place. You know, and I listen to some of your podcasts and I hear some of the people that do it alone, mm. you know. And, and I go there and I go, shit, thank God I got fair you know, to go through what she had to suffer mm. or, or mm. wouldn't it have been amazing to have had the high with someone else what yeah. he celebrated? So, you know, it is... Um, there it must is be something in there
1: for, as a kind of... Um, uh, as a guide or an aid to other people because I think the, the power... Of that relationship and what makes it special, what makes it work, is when you know each other so well that you don't you don't criticise someone for their weaknesses. Um, you know, Sam knows when I'm going to do something wrong, and has probably, as he says, like, realised that that's going to happen before I, I even do it. But because he's known that, he's probably also planned for how to get around that, and uh, and and so isn't beating his head against the wall, thinking, why on earth did they have to do that again? You know, like that. And, and if we could all bring that to our teams and think, oh, actually, you know, I recognize the, the strengths of these people and therefore give them something that suits and not worry if, uh, you know, if they're not doing something in a different way or the way that you might have done it, then that becomes quite powerful
0: it is you know when you look back and and you're 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 a bit older and you've got dentures and things like that <laughs> you will be able to share your war stories Absolutely. together and and, yeah. and i think that that's the privilege of a founders when not only the relationship between two people which is almost sacred if you get it right and it's a very beautiful thing but it's then actually people that work for you watching that relationship watching that carefulness you have around maybe weaknesses but also celebrating someone's strength outwardly you know there's no ego about it it's actually your wonderful moment is my wonderful moment and if you can get that within an organization wow you know that's when people start working all through the night for you that's when people you know have your back and it's just an incredible thing so, but tell me now what you would say to anyone thinking about going into the drinks industry, going into this sort of alcohol world.
1: I think go for it. You know, that's the uh, the key message. And I think, um, you know, don't just go for it without any thought. But if you've put tons of thought and you're really passionate about it and you really want to you found, to found do that it,
0: uniqueness. I think that's, that's what you, you found is a uniqueness. We always
1: talk about
3: instead of being different, about being distinctive. Difference USPs and you know all that sort of stuff. They suggest a rational difference, which is important, and the yeah. future that ladders off that. But actually, distinction is about memory. It's about sensing. It's it's a, it's the emotional part, and I think that is the where brand personality, tone of voice, look and feel uh, is. You actually can't create that there's just sort of it comes together symbiotically and it's just this sweet spot um and um and so we we talk a lot about you know well what's distinctive about that and that will challenge you to, well, well why is that so distinctive there is to us a distinct difference between different and distinct and i think um you know, it, it really sets it apart. And that, that I think, is when, when we do something at Sipsmith, and we always talk about, you know, no half measures. It's all about making sure it's done with memory in mind, with making sure that that connection with that consumer or that group of gin and tonic drinkers is, it stays with them for, for as long as possible. That might be the look and feel of the ambiance, the music that's played, you know, where it is, the setting. That is what it's about. We are in an experiential world now, and... You know, people need that emotive, evocative, distinctive moment to take away with them. And that is what, that's where the heart comes from in branding.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, If I may, I wanted to touch on you were recently bought by Bean Suntory, a Japanese spirits conglomerate who also own Jim Bean and Maker's Mark. But you're both going to remain at the helm and gin will be in your lives forever. You'll be doing what you're doing and you've made sure that it's going to be distilled in Chiswick. If I may, can I just ask the reasons, you know, why that was a choice? And I think sometimes, you know, speaking to Richard from Innocent, you know, there's this thing, isn't there? And I, and just recently speaking to Mark from um, Lush, you know, there gets to a point where, you know, founders aren't, you know, supermen and superwomen. Mm, you mm. know, there are points where you need to either de-risk and you need to be able to say to your partner who's lived off baked beans forever, <laughs> you know, uh, by the way, this, th- 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 there was a reason for all of this. Yes, yeah. all All you need to be able to say I just can't do this bit. We've managed to get this far, but I can't go to the next thing. And I think this word, you know, exiting or selling has become sort of like this sort of yeah. dirty thing, that, you know, yeah. that you should be ashamed that you're not going to be 95 um, and and still on your moped, sure. basically. Yeah. You know, that's what they... Were. So tell me mm. what that decision, why that decision was made.
1: For us, it was all to do with international growth. And right at the beginning, the, the vision for this brand was to create something that would still be around in 200 years' time and available in all four corners of the world. And uh, and that's what drives us, to create something for, you know, it's a legacy for generations that is a beacon of gin around the world representing the origins, you know, the reference point of London dry gin. And that brings its own challenges because that means you have to sell beyond London, beyond the, the shores of this country. And we had an amazing... Um, Small board led by an inspirational guy, Rupert Hambros, but fantastic, real supporter of small businesses. And we made a commitment to them. Um, this is going back about four or five years that uh, we were at the time. I think seventy percent um, uh, UK business, thirty percent international. That within three years we would be sixty percent international, forty percent UK, and still be growing gangbusters. That was the commitment <laughs> we said to the board. That was it we came easy. back oh, oh easy oh no no, no it's no. good isn't sure. it you write things down yeah, and it's yeah, yeah, yeah. like look how we easy make that it was yeah. so we checked in with them a year later i said well boys how are you doing so uh the the numbers told their own story we'd grown my god we'd grown it was amazing we were 75 percent uk 25 percent international and we had this decision to make um what we were going to do, because it was very apparent, um, and Sam can tell you, Holly, about some challenging times that he had uh, trying to grow this abroad, but um, it was really tough. And the number one thing we learned was that no one cares about your business like you do, fact. They also don't really care unless there's some kind of equity incentive in, them, in it for them to grow. So we had two choices, or three, I suppose. We could let go of the international dream. Well, that Contravened our entire mission, or we could plow everything in that we possibly had. You know, six years of of growth, put it all in, choose one or two markets, and set up our own team on the ground, and and do it that way. I mean, my God, that would be tough. Different languages, different cultures, uh, starting from scratch, betting the farm all over again. You can imagine how that conversation would go down at home. So uh, the other the other route was. Is there a partner out there that already has an established network that we could tap into that would allow us to grow, but crucially, that shares the same values as we do? And we were delighted to meet the Beam Suntory guys because they really understood this founder mentality. It's still a private company, it's still run by the great 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 grandson of the man that founded the business in Japan they then subsequently acquired Jim Beam and the businesses that go with that. And that includes Jim Beam, which is, a I think, eighth-generation family business still run by one of the No family. And Maker's Mark, which is a third-generation business still run by one of the, founder, the founder's grandson. Uh, you know, amazing. Absolutely amazing. And it felt like a collection of small founder-led family businesses under an umbrella that were hugely supportive And crucially, also took a perspective of the long term. You know, this is not a public company that has Mm -hmm. uh, demands they have to hit and and reports that they they can take a view that married with our own view of actually this is about creating a brand with longevity uh, that is going to be around for decades, you know, centuries to come, hopefully. And, and it really resonated and uh, and we've been delighted ever since actually you know they've been great great partners
0: gosh that is a that is a really good story because you know scaling the unique which is what I I very much sort of coined that phrase at not in the high Street you know how do you scale what is ultimately unique and so how do you want to preserve the Uniqueness, the hand-dipped bottles—you know that the fact it's made in Chiswick. How how will you do that?
3: Again, it, it all got to start from the experiential. It's all got to start from the, the trade. It's all got to be authentic. You know, the look, the feel, the liquid, the tone of voice. It's quite challenging sometimes in another language. You know, we're really careful to work with um, you know interpreters to make sure that language and and the message isn't lost. But you know, we've been we've been pretty pretty successful in the last two years of scaling with these guys and being very clear about the markets, you know, where we want to win and how we want to win.
0: And as one of the ways that you have scaled this sort of uniqueness, you've launched your new TV ad campaign as well. And this very clever stop motion, it reminds Mm. me a little of Wes Anderson's fantastic Mr. Fox. And I loved all the miniatures and the tiny hand-dipped glass bottles and the attention to detail. And I read that even inside of um, the pocket of Mr. Swan's suit, it was hand stitched. That's right. So I'm a bit fanatical about um, tiny details, and I really appreciate them and appreciate that beautiful ad. Yeah.
1: We don't necessarily think of it as an ad as much as a short film. Um, right. That, uh, I that mean, really, it, is, it yeah, is. It's beautiful. Anyone it's, who hasn't
0: seen it, please it, look it, it up. Is, it's yeah, stunning. it's amazing.
1: It's stunning. It, it it's that epitome of craft that everything that, that we stand for. But we've shown it in small independent cinemas where you can get that whole experience. So yes. you see the short film, you can actually have a Sipsmith G&T at the same time. You know, it, it's, it's very kind of, it creates something that goes beyond just uh, an old school above the line yes. campaign. And I think that's what's crucial because uh, Holly, you touched on it before, that you came away from our tour and you told a whole lot of people that is the way that in this day mm-hmm. and age, brands will grow that's how we scale you know you have to create something that makes people proud to tell their friends and their family and everyone about because my god the communication freedom that people enjoy now is it's amazing Mm. and uh, the days where Media is controlled by a few big companies, um, and uh, at least in terms of the, uh, the kind of the, the print or the TV, and that's the only way that a brand can actually access uh, people around the world. Have gone so much more powerful that we give you an amazing experience or something wonderful, and that experience can be watching a short film. That is an experience we think in in of itself. You know, that's something you can tell. Hopefully. Uh, hundreds of people and say you know I saw this incredible film by Sipsmith Smith absolutely brilliant and you know it's right they do make gin not compromises it's like their gin is uncompromisingly fantastically epic and uh, and I tasted it and I bought a bottle and you guys should too and and that is so much more powerful coming from you to your friends than it could possibly be and for isn't that any company. And is so
0: interesting for small businesses to hear this, is we talk still, and I'm at fault at this, sort of thinking about advertising in mediums that we sort of know, mm. whereas actually word of mouth used to be this just nice thing that happened on top. Mm. Is it now word of mouth is our core main advertiser? And you've just got to stimulate word of mouth, and which is easier yeah. than ever, really, with Instagram and with with social media and with what's you know, with constantly talking, you know. And 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 that's what you've done. You've created these experiences. Tell me now, for yourselves, you're going to be here. Are you excited about the future? You, I mean, you've just made a miniature movie about Sipsmith this yeah. is quite cool to do this is quite cool
3: yeah yes. I mean it's just deserving of a you know of a sequel and uh, and I think this, this you know I think you've touched on it for, you know we are a 10 year old brand this is sort of an overnight sort of story really uh, um, you know it just happens to have accelerated away in its opening decade but you know the whole vision ambition is a 200 year one you know it is so exciting to be part of the category um, which is set
0: to grow 37% by it's 2020 2021.
3: Absolutely. It's not going so anywhere.
0: it's not going anywhere. It's not I mean.
3: going anywhere. People have now got a repertoire of different gins that they yeah. go to gin clubs, you know, people take bottles of gin now instead of wine as you know they, you know it's <laughs> insane. Much more fun. It's insane.
0: <laughs> <laughs> gosh we could go on I, I definitely feel like a gin and tonic now. I was it was going to be the one night I wasn't going to have something to drink. Do you have any? Here? No yeah. No, yeah. yeah. Um yeah. Tell me, who has inspired you along your journey that you think might inspire others on this podcast?
3: I have followed at length uh, someone in Cornwall called Tim Schmidt, who built the Eden Project. Um, Mm. And he is a maverick of a man. You talk about someone that zigs another zag. He sees wonder and opportunity in, you know... in, in a pit, <laughs> which he did yeah. with, with, with Eden. And, uh, and, and I think what he's doing ecologically, I think he's a guy that I have uh, uh, looked to and I've got to know quite well. Um, and uh, he's a remarkable guy. Someone else I would also say I think would be really interesting for you guys to talk to, and it's slightly off the beaten, beaten path, we is, like is um, Isabella Tree and Charlie Burrell, who uh, set up this place called uh, NEP. Uh, well, they didn't set it up. They, it's an estate, and they've essentially dedicated the entire thing to the wilderness. And it's have now got this amazing eco tourism business out of nothing, against all the odds. Everyone said, "Don't do and it's it." Called- it's called NEP. Uh, K N E P P, and they wrote a book called Wilding, and uh, it's just amazing. Uh, and it's a real business now, a really exciting fledgling business. And ecotourism is very exciting. So that would be my two that I would oh
0: think. Oh, gosh, worked. good recommendations.
1: Well, I, I, mine are probably, I've probably made it quite clear already. I mean, my inspiration came from much closer to home, from basically my father, the silversmith and entrepreneur and do everything kind of guy, because. It, it is inspiring seeing that in your family. And uh, and I think uh, I was very lucky in that respect because it's very um, it's very liberating to have someone that you uh, intrinsically have so much love and respect for, embodying just pursuing different things because they believe in them and because they're fun and because it's just the right thing to do. And that that gave us and gave me the, the confidence to actually go for it myself. And it's wonderful. And actually now my... My wife, you've met Holly um, back in the day, she's a milliner, she now has her own business, um, Eloise Hall, making amazing greetings cards and uh, scented candles and hand soaps and she's following her passion her dreams and it's just wonderful, It's um, it's really inspirational.
0: Really inspirational and I end these podcasts where I ask you know if 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 what we're doing is being basically on a roller coaster ride permanently um, and we have really big highs and absolutely crazily big lows jointly would you say what has been your collective low
1: gosh the collective low uh, certainly I I wouldn't say jointly I know Sam has own his own very personal low, which I'll let him speak to um, regarding some of the international stuff but the um I think it was just those early days. You know, it was really challenging. We'd put so much in financially and emotionally and then to not really see it coming together. And I'm sure there are people out there listening thinking, God, that's crazy. You know, actually that happened pretty quickly if it was only a few months after you started selling that it took off, but it felt like an age and it felt, it was so crushing because you believe in something so fundamentally in order to take that leap. And then to have already gone through that super painful two and a half year period well, between I was going to leaving say, it's jobs, years yeah, to
0: sell a few cases—that's it. Yes. So yes, yes, um, it, it was rather a long
1: yeah, time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I always think of it as like well, it was just June, today. but you're right. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was the lead-in, um, and and that was definitely the um, the crushing Hair though. Amazing. But the yeah. the experience you well, had internationally. Well, I had a couple.
3: I mean, you know, I went to go and live in Spain on my own to try to bring the Sipsmith to life over in Spain. And um, it was a nightmare. And I really did not enjoy being away from the team. I felt completely dislocated from yeah. Fairfax, from the team. I didn't know where we were. I, I just, I really wasn't very happy. And so that was, on a, that was a truly personal low. I think another low was when we grew at such a pace. We ran out of space in Naismith Street. And we moved to Chiswick. So within a month, we had doubled the amount of people that were here. And don't ever underestimate the cultural impact that has if you still remain solely and uniquely focused on sales targets, you know, and, uh, and forget about the cultural piece. And the human the, side. The, the human side. And I dare I say it, I did. And as a result, you know, I felt an immense low when the team came and said, you know, this is this is crap. This is not working. You know, we, you know, and, you know, I took it incredibly personally. Uh, about how we were leading the business at that time. And we really took ourselves out. We weren't celebrating success. We weren't doing anything. I think, I think mentally, it really it was a real blow for me. And, and I know you took it pretty hard as well. But what we decided to do, we turned it on its head. We turned a problem into an opportunity. And we actually took the whole took two days out of the business and we went and, and took this house down in Somerset we rented it for two days and we had the whole team some people's first day first week first month you know we had activities in the morning and then we all had these dinners and I mean, the whole thing got a little crazy but it was <laughs> um, but it was just that moment of regelling of reconnecting and I think it's about pausing sometimes and just looking behind you and just saying guys we've we've done a killer job here. Let's just all pat ourselves on the back, have a drink or not, you know, but, you know, exercise our right to pause and just go thumbs up, well done. And let's continue to remind ourselves that because I think there was a time that we just took ourselves a little bit too seriously. Mm. And, And that was the point when we introduced a minister of fun. Uh, yeah so and they still they still here
0: oh so now we're going on to our greatest highs it's got to be hiring the minister of fun
1: yeah (laughs) the thing the thing about the highs and hopefully this will resonate with other people out there is that every milestone you create in your mind or whether you write it down or whether you talk about it or whether it's just something you know you you're holding on to personally when you reach it it's a mini high but it's crazy it's like for us growing this business and uh, and with all the team around us has been like climbing this hill where each time you think that that's the milestone you're going for and you think that's the kind of the peak that you're aiming for and when you get there there's going to be this huge high and yes there is but my god i bet you you know everyone will say the same thing before you get there the minute that you know you're going to get there you can actually see the real peak, and it's just a false peak. And that's not to say that that milestone isn't an amazing high. It's just that you've already got your eye on the next one, whether it's some some of those peaks have only been weeks apart, some have been months apart. But there's been so many amazing milestones that we've hit, you know, jointly with the family, with the team, along the way, that it's just been—it's uh, been amazing.
0: Wow, it's been an utter pleasure meeting you both, and I knew it was going to be because the team have been so wonderful. You know, it's just astounding to think you've taken this sort of dying industry, or an industry certainly that was in need of such help, and you have taken this amazing industry and you've turned it on its head, you've inspired so many people um, it's officially the nation's favourite spirit, um, overtaking whiskey. Um, and it's crazy to think that you've affected British society and you know there was two guys you know that possibly were going to talk about it for a lot longer and you ended up just doing it and so you're such gin visionaries I would say <laughs> but huge congratulations to you both um, I wish you all the happiness and success i'd love to remain even more in contact because i just think our worlds could definitely collide more and i would absolutely love that if that was the case thank you delighted um so i would love to now hand over because it's that time of the podcast when i ask the founders to write a letter to their younger selves and i don't know what you've written so who would like to go first
1: I will because mine is inevitably going to be shorter than Sam's <laughs> as is our relationship that's the way things work I'm shortened to the point so Over to you, Fairfax. Uh, why don't I go first and then follow Sam so here we go Dear Fairfax I'm going to cut to the chase and give you the good news it all works out well Challenges have a way of resolving themselves if you keep plugging away so don't lose heart if it's tricky and remember you make your own luck I'm not going to highlight all the good choices you make. You make them happy days. So go with your gut. Nor will I point out the things that are going to go wrong or the poor choices you make along the way. As it turns out, the things you learn from these inform other great choices you make later. And it would be a shame to change anything. So don't sweat it. That said, when Amy suggests getting up to dance on a table in the rastro in 1998, best just say no. (laughs) You're going to read a great book when you're 18 that says, In the Sunset of Disillusion... Everything is illuminated by the aura of nostalgia, which I think basically means things have a seductive way of looking better when you look back. Don't get caught up in that. Enjoy what you experience, but don't dwell on it. Keep moving forward, safe in the knowledge that there are always new, fantastic things ahead of you. But realize, too, that it all goes pretty quickly, so don't be in too much of a rush to dash on. From time to time, you won't regret just taking the time to really savor the moment. My last thought for you, put people first. They matter more than anything. You won't get to where you're going to get to without surrounding yourself with people that you love that are better at what you do than you are yourself. And none of that, frankly, will even matter at all if you don't put your own family before everything and make sure that they know that every single day. So relax, have fun. It's going to be a great ride. Much love. Fairfax.
0: There's two letters. I can't believe it. I'm going to have two
1: times.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so lovely. So lovely. Thank you, Fairfax. Pleasure. Thank you.
3: Dear Sammy G, here's something you're not going to read every day. A letter from yourself 20 years from now. Madness. Do with it what you will, but hopefully you'll take a nugget or two from it. But what I hope it won't do in any way is change the course of history. As from where I'm sat now, life's pretty damn good, and the journey you are soon to undertake is a spectacular one. I would say I hope this finds you well, calm, and in good spirits. But I know that you're none of them. You're enjoying life in all the wrong ways. You're anything but calm. And as for the spirits, the good news is that while you're not actually in good spirits per se, I suspect you're knee-deep in a martini now, you're about to embark on a mission to reinvigorate an extraordinary spirit, gin, in a world that doesn't yet know how much it really wants and loves it, and that's going to lift yours in an unimaginable way. So having dodged bullets, jumped hurdles, used most of your nine lives with the accompanying scars to prove it, I'm in a pretty good position to be able to give you some of the wise counsel. But I'm going to leave the truly businessy-like lessons to Fairfax and his younger self, as I can sense that you're more in need of the basic, softer life lessons first. As a start of a 10, two things you need to get a grip on firmly and quickly are both perspective and resilience. And they kind of go hand in hand. And if you're going to help build a global brand, you're gonna need to sharpen your ability to bounce back from the inevitable no's and the many knocks that you'll take along the way and adapt in the face of challenging circumstances. This is vital in both business and as you'll discover in life. Learn to put more distance between you and a situation. Take longer to react than you have a tendency to do, and you'll start being able to prioritize and move forward with more confidence, clarity, and purpose. Most people that you share your idea where they're going to start about starting a gender story will suggest it's a non-starter. They'll poo-poo it entirely. And it will make you question your own vision and ambition but thankfully in this instance you'll ignore them and this might be the only sensible time to do so. You'll both follow your instinct and your gut feel and retain conviction in your vision but always remember going forwards to listen to the dissenters as more often than not they have something deeply relevant to say however contrary to your chosen route it may be. No matter their experience they have perspective and reason to challenge. Dissent and divergence should thrive in a business in order to reach the right decision. Full consensus leads to complete mediocrity. You'll be grateful you won't arrive there. You've never been one for conflict, so make sure in light of this you foster an environment where people feel safe and able to challenge one another. And on the flip side, be wary of those that agree too keenly and too often with you. Surround yourselves with better people, as you'll discover that's not hard. Talking of people, it is worth mentioning that of all your failings, your shortcomings and your blind spots, well done for being so aware and open about them, by the way, you do possess one singular superpower, and that will be the principal source of your energy and drive. The power of finding, engaging with and bringing on great people. You have an innate ability here, which is lucky as people, and I mean great people, will be the key to you unlocking your mission and getting the most out of life. And when it comes to people, remember this, that it is impossible to please everyone. You're only going to tie yourself in knots and burn a lot of energy in the process. And I can tell you that you're going to get a far greater kick out of your team and and their growth than you will from seeing your brand in all four corners of the world and its growth, even though that's pretty epic. Empower them early on. Listen to them intently. Here's a conundrum. Just because you work crazy hours, it doesn't make you any better at your job or more likely to deliver against a goal or mission. As a leader, remember the shadow that you cast is always wider than you think, and you'll be better off setting an early example of your team about working smarter, not necessarily longer. However bought into the mission they are and sense of belonging they have to the company, it's not a requirement to have a truly poor balance of life tipped so immensely in favour of work, however great a culture you foster. And this is a team, of course, that will coin the expression, no half measures, which does not need to be a mantra for hours worked, just depth and detail which they will go to in bringing to life this extraordinary brand. Define what success means to you. It sounds cheesy, but it's an invigorating thing to do. I'll leave you with one clue, and it's not money. Money should be but a consequence of you fulfilling part of the journey and mission and nothing else. For me and you, the most fulfilling element has been that of understanding and realising Sipsmith's role in this world and doing this alongside a staggering collection of talent that will enrich you in learning and experience beyond your wildest dreams. I know you'll become more aware of how lucky you are. Life is all about luck, by the way, and you do make your own. But the single most important relationship will be with your great mate and partner, Fairfax. This journey will be so much better shared. The lows that you will encounter will be otherwise too lonely, and the highs nowhere near as much fun, if not shared together. You'll compliment each other hugely and go on the craziest journey together, and out the other side you will come, all the better for it. And so will the discerning gin-drinking world, I might add. It's bollocks that you can't go into business with your great mate, You just need to know each other's blind spots. You're a late developer, my friend, compared to your friends and peers. And that's fine, as your greatest achievement and source of happiness will happen later on in life. And it will be in finding your wife and your three kids. And it will be her that teaches you the single greatest lesson of all. That life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it as in this statement resides the two key levers of your life, perspective and resilience, and my God, you need them. You had planned to write this letter three months ago and read it in this podcast, but it was on that very day that you received a call with the news that no parent should get that their child is diagnosed with leukaemia and your world at that moment will stop and you will freeze hearing only white noise, seeing only in tunnel vision, and try to process what this means and feel unutterable helplessness. If you had failed to grasp the true meaning of perspective up until this point, its meaning now sharpens so acutely and starkly that it finally allows you to see the world and its challenges in a very different light than it looked before the 29th of April 2019. Perspective is everything. You might hope to have even half the levels of resilience that your son Eddie is showing in this battle right now. So look, life's good. In fact, it's great. Don't panic, be brave, regret nothing, learn everything, stay positive, love lots, chin up. Sammy G. Let's get a gin and tonic.
0: You know, the thing is, is that I need to hold your hand when I say this, sure. is that, you know, I think about the, what you two have and we go back to having founders. I had one in Sophie when I started Not in the High Street and I have my sisters, Carrie and Gabby, and we just share everything and we're going to share everything. And the fact that you're there together through, you know, Sam's such difficult times is that, you know, we grow businesses, but it is, it is your family. It's the thing that is... Getting you out of bed in the morning and 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 giving you and and business can be, just this most magical thing to keep you sane. Getting up, going to bed, knowing that you're going to have Fairfax there, knowing that the, you know there there are these things and it's where business, is just so so much more what we grow than yeah. what the finances are and who we sell to and how we started. And I just, you know, I wish you everything and and what a beautiful, beautiful letter. And thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks NatWest again for sponsoring this podcast. It's great to partner with an organisation that believes in empowering people in business. That's why they developed the NatWest Business Hub. It's full of information, tips and insights to help business owners meet their goals. Go to natwestbusinesshub.com to get started. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversations of Inspiration. I want as many people as possible to believe that they can build a business doing what they love. So could I ask a favour? If you like what you're listening to, would you rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast provider? It will help others find this podcast and may just be the inspiration they need to follow their dreams.
1: Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come to when you are lying in your bed And if you want your friends to come then bring them